Well done. Whilst we know from the prophetic markers that we are living at the time of the end, no one knows the exact hour of our Lord's appearance. In light of this, our Master seeks from us all a constant state of readiness, a state of alertness which is combined with wisdom and faithfulness. The parable of the talents continues this theme of watchfulness in the Olivet Prophecy. We saw in the last issue of the magazine that the parable of the wise and foolish virgins answers the question of Matthew 24, verse 45, who then is a wise servant? The next parable will illustrate who is a faithful servant. There are four elements of this parable which we are being asked to appreciate. The responsibility we have all received, the response we need to demonstrate, the reckoning we will face, and the reward that is being offered. The man travelling into a far country is none other than our Lord. Whilst he has the authority to judge and reward his servants, he nevertheless describes himself as a man. He once shared the common weaknesses and needs of those whom he now commands. He understands them, and this is evident from the calling that he makes to his own. They have been called to serve, yet each calling is made with a precise knowledge of their capacity to contribute to the work. In his vast estate there is much to do, and taking up the picture of being presented, these servants would have been made up of artisans, craftsmen, gifted agriculturalists, innovative traders, all able to keep the estate going and ensure that the crops reached the appropriate market in the best condition at the best price. There were stewards who were able to handle the funds, assets and resources for the profit of their master, a profit they would gladly return to him upon his arrival back. They were called to labour for his profit and glory, not their own. An integral part of their calling was to receive from him, personally, a portion of his goods. He yielded part of his inheritance to them. The word delivered, used in the parable, means to surrender, that is to yield up, entrust, transmit. The word is used to designate that form of doctrine which was delivered to you in Romans 6. The ordinances the apostles delivered to the ecclesias, including the arrangements for the memorial feast in 1 Corinthians 11 and the faith that was once delivered to the saints in Jude verse 3. He has entrusted these things to our care, and we ought to recognise that we are highly honoured to receive them and ensure that they are faithfully guarded. They are not our own. They belong to him, and they are highly prized. The distribution of the work is performed with thoughtfulness and insight. Every servant receives an opportunity to give back to the master. Some receive five talents. Others two, and others one. The English word for talent is a transliteration of the Greek talanton, that which is weighed out. In New Testament times, this weight was generally associated with silver, so that the wealth given to the servants was not trivial. We could view it as operational expenses to keep the estate running, and as seed money to invest in new opportunities to develop the estate and farm further. The unsearchable riches of Christ have been entrusted to us. Do we appreciate the gravity and privilege of the inheritance which we have been given to oversee? Our Lord is conscious of each individual called to serve him. He understands their capacity to respond to the responsibilities given to them. He faithfully and wisely apportions that which he believes they are capable of handling properly. This is important to note. Every brother and sister who has been called to the truth has a capacity to serve, and this capacity is known and understood by our Lord. 
Some have greater capacity than others, but that isn't what counts. What counts is that we work to the fullness of our own capacity with the opportunities presented to us. In New Testament times, the first century ecclesia was organised with different brothers and sisters, being given different gifts according to their temperament and capacity. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 4 and 12. Remember, a talent is a measure of money. It is not a reference to abilities. The talents were distributed on the basis of ability, not as the bestowing of ability itself. The first two servants immediately went and traded, as per the RV and ESV. They loved their master, and there was no delay in their response. They seized the opportunity to please their master and demonstrate their love. Every occasion, every advantage, every part of their life was given in fullness of service. If only we could be like that. We are not told what this work was, because our Lord is not going to limit those activities. But doing business involves undertaking any events for the purpose of achieving a profit. Profitability is influenced by any activities that relate to growing, manufacturing, distributing, marketing, buying and selling. These are all activities that require people to use their initiative, their energy, their skills, their understanding, their time and their effort to expand their master's influence and produce fruit to the glory of his name. They made something of that which had been entrusted into their care. Their honest industry and endeavour produced wholesome fruit. The fact that there are different talent servants relieves us of the burden of comparing ourselves to others. It's no good wishing we had more opportunities like brother and sister five talent. The point is that we return the fullest service we are capable of giving. Wholehearted service is what is required, no matter what capacity we have. But amidst all of this great energy and activity, there is a striking contrast. Someone who was entirely different, someone who didn't appreciate the value of what was given him, someone who didn't go immediately. He went, states Matthew 25, verse 18, but not to trade. The word went in this verse is a different word from that used earlier. In verse 16, it means to travel abroad and suggests a wide-ranging interest and commitments. But in verse 18, the word means to go off, to go aside, to go away. His perspective was very limited compared to the others and in the end took him aside from the right path. This parable is not suggesting that one-talent servants are doomed to failure, that they are inevitably going to be unfaithful. The point the Lord is making is that everyone, including the one-talent servant, is expected to take their responsibilities seriously. Even if we consider we have little to give or that our opportunities are limited, we must make the most of them. The one-talent servant is equally responsible for that one talent, just as the five-talent servant is responsible for their five talents. It doesn't matter which category we fall into. We have to make the most of what has been given us. Tragically, this last servant dug a hole and smothered his lord's money with earth, hiding it from all and sundry. Burying and hiding are two verbs associated with the failures of Achan and Adam. What is that servant going to be doing if he buries the talent? He certainly won't be putting any energy into the meeting, nor will he attempt to bring profitability to the master. He is going to be doing everything else but... He is going to be engaged in activities that he is interested in, to the exclusion of all else. 
he is only interested in pleasing self. We need to appreciate that the person who may seem to be the most excusable, I only have one heart, is not excusable at all. The same use of abilities is required. Now, the man didn't steal the money. He simply let it remain idle. He did nothing, thought about nothing, invested in nothing. He did absolutely nothing with the spiritual privilege and opportunity he had been given. What about us? Do we seize every opportunity we have of bringing honour to our master? In the parable, the day of reckoning arrived. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. It was now time to open the books and settle the accounts. In the words of the apostle, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Romans 14. We can sense the eagerness of the first two servants. They have been asked to recount their lives and they are joyful in their response. Their account is the answer born of a good conscience. They are not ashamed before him at this coming. They understood the reality of the Lord's commission to them and laboured accordingly. In response, their Lord was effusive in his praise. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. In the Greek, well done is simply the two Greek letters, you and means excellent. Can you imagine receiving that commendation? What can be more exhilarating than hearing that? The Lord will recognise publicly our faithfulness. He knows that we need the reassurance of that kind of commendation. He knows our works and is prepared to acknowledge them. But he didn't stop there. Well done would surely have been enough. But the Lord is generous with his praise and continues to give recognition to the faithfulness of those servants. Notice too that the reward far outweighs anything we can imagine. Our service in Christ is classified as stewardship over a few things. But how magnanimous the Son of God is. The reward bears no comparison with our puny efforts, but it is graciously given to recognise our faithfulness. It is a reward of unspeakable joy and a continuation of present service into the future age. Amidst all that rejoicing, the servant with the one talent steps up to give account. He is a tragic figure, about to illustrate the calamity of wasted opportunities. He says that he is a servant, but they are hollow words. Indeed, all he can offer are empty words. He hasn't wasted his master's goods, like the unjust steward of Luke 16. He hasn't spent it all on riotous living, like the prodigal son of Luke 15. He hasn't embezzled it, like the unmerciful servant of Matthew 18. No, he just does nothing with it. He is not illustrative of an evil, vile, wretched life. He is illustrative of a brother or sister who had just wasted every opportunity. And that's heartbreaking. This pitiful picture is compounded by the false accusations he makes. I knew thee, he explains, that thou art an hard man. Ironically, he didn't know at all the true nature of his master. There is no evidence at all to justify his claims of harshness and severity. In fact, the way the Lord rewarded the previous two servants is evidence to the contrary. This servant had completely misrepresented his Lord. He was saying that his master was unforgiving, that he was unrelenting, unbending, unmerciful, ungracious, unkind, lacking compassion, 
He was too tough and without sensitivity. How far off the mark was this assessment? And in saying this, he has shifted the blame onto the master, impugning his character and maligning his good name. On the contrary, our Lord is a merciful and faithful high priest, encouraging us to seek mercy and find help in time of need. But the truth soon begins to emerge. He was afraid. His service was dominated by fear, a motive which produces no fruit whatsoever. He was afraid of being punished for his inadequacies. He was afraid that his Lord would condemn him and not forgive him, and therefore he produced nothing. There was no fruit, no increase, no growth in spirituality. It is always a temptation for those who think they have limited opportunities and limited capacities to say, I have so small a talent and I can do so little with it. It's not worth trying. I can contribute nothing meaningful. But this runs contrary to our Lord's words in Matthew 10, where he concludes, And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. The smallest contribution in his name is always welcomed in his service. In reply, the Lord gets right to the heart of the matter. To falsely accuse him and then to hide behind that belief as an excuse for inactivity is wickedness. It is evidence of sloth and indolence. There is no place in the kingdom for this. Although his assessment of his Lord was wrong, he should have at least acted consistently with that assessment. How hard would it have been to walk down to the bank and fill out a deposit slip? But this wicked behaviour exposed the servant's reasoning for what it was. An excuse. He had persisted with a lazy spiritual lifestyle, ignoring spiritual opportunities on every hand, simply to pursue his own work and interests. He was living in spiritual darkness, and so he was to be banished into outer darkness. The fearful and unbelieving have no part in the kingdom of God. The parable concludes with weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a stark contrast to the joy of their Lord mentioned previously. Rejection reinforces the realisation that they have squandered their privileges in Christ and have missed out on everlasting life. Let us seize the opportunities that frequently come our way, whatever our capacity, and let us be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord.